0: These minor prophets, as you can probably gather from the image uh, we've put on the screen, uh, are very ancient texts. I mean, Micah is about 2,700 years old, give and take a day or two. So it's a very old ancient text, and and the question is probably worth asking uh, what relevance has it today? Wasn't actually Micah prophesying to particular people in a particular age at a particular time and at a particular moment and and why should we be even opening such an ancient text today but some centuries later um, the canons of scripture were put together and Christians believe that that God's word is is God breathing his spirit to us and his breathing breathing a message to us and And I have to say, as uh, we go through these minor prophets, it's quite amazing how relevant uh, God's word is for us today, even though we live in a very different world, a very different society, in a very different age, and in a very different culture, that that there's a a, a major word in these minor prophets for us this morning. And I hope you'll find that um, in in Micah. As you can see from the map on the screen... um, Minor prophets uh, spoke to different nations. Uh, some spoke to this land, which during this time was split into two. And Some of the prophets that we've looked at speaks to the northern kingdom of Israel and some to the southern kingdom of Judah. Micah is quite unique in that he speaks to both of those kingdoms. In the opening verse, he, he talks about him um, in speaking that the, the word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth so we find out where he comes from that you will see this on the next slide that's going to come up now in this opening verse of the first chapter the word of the Lord came to Micah which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Well Samaria is the area in the northern kingdom of Israel the capital of which is Shechem you may have seen on that map and the the southern kingdom of um, of Judah and its capital of course Jerusalem. And in verse 5, Micah tells us that his prophecy is for the sins of Israel, but also tells us in the next verse that Samaria will be a heap in the open country. Both of these kingdoms were spiraling away from God. They were worshipping idol gods. They were, they were turning away from the God who gave them this land and gave them th- this people. And here in this prophet, there's a warning to God's people, that God's judgment and God's wrath will come upon them if they don't turn back to Him, and so, even though, however, that these two peoples have turned their back onto God, um, God still loved them. You know, to think about the message the band gave gave us this morning: God still loves us. Do, does God love us when we sin? Yeah, of course He does. God never stops loving loving us and God was still loving these people and God still wanted to reestablish his relationship with them and so that's why God sent these prophets running all over these two nations warning them and encouraging them come back to God and you know generally speaking that they they were they were encouraged to they were given a last chance if you like to come back to the God who still loved them but in the end, and generally speaking, they didn't come back to God. And the judgment that God promised came upon both of these nations. The northern kingdom of Israel would eventually be invaded by the Assyrians. And the people uh, were exiled into Assyria and to other parts and other countries. And uh, th- those people in the northern kingdom were scattered to such an extent that the tw- ten tribes of of the Jews in that northern kingdom were lost forever. They were never, ever re-established. The southern kingdom was invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The magnificent uh, Solomon's temple was completely razed to the ground. Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem were destroyed. And Nebuchadnezzar and the army took uh, the, the Jews act the southern kingdom of Judah and exile them into the kingdom of Babylonia, and there they were for seventy years until the Persians came to power. Um, and not only did that happen, but the other thing that God says throughout these prophets is that if you don't listen to me i 'll stop talking to you. That was God 's promise. I'm giving you these prophecies, I'm speaking to you, I'm encouraging you, I'm giving you these warnings, but if you don't listen to me, I won't speak to you any longer. And that too also came to pass. After the last prophet, Malachi, God ceased talking to deaf ears and for four centuries there was no prophetical voice at all. Those four centuries, of course, would eventually be broken when John the Baptist appeared by the river Jordan. After me, says John, comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I baptise you with water, but he he is coming who will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So for four centuries, God closed his mouth and closed his judgment upon his people. The only solution to rebuild this broken relationship was for God to send a saviour. Micah is um, actually a remarkable uh, prophecy. And it contains actually some of the most exact and specific prophecies regarding the coming of that Messiah, the coming of that Saviour. Firstly, um, he prophesies a time... When prophecies will end and God will speak to his people no more. We read this in chapter 3 and verses 6 to 7. The sun says Micah will set for the prophets. The day will go dark for them. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But also in Micah is one of the most accurate and specific prophecies regarding the coming of Jesus. God says to the people through Micah, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one whom will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, and from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and he will stand as a shepherd, and his flock in the in the strength of the Lord, and in the majesty of the name of the lord his god what a remarkable accurate prophecy that the messiah will come from this backwater place called bethlehem that was hardly anything in those days That out of this nothing of a community would arise the messiah the savior of the world he will be born as a son you know it's a verse that we hardly ever use uh, during the, the time of Advent, at uh, Christmas, and in our carol services. But here in Micah is one of the most specific uh, prophecies of the coming of Christ. It also says here as well, of course, that this, this baby that would be born, born as a son in Bethlehem, would actually come and stand as a shepherd. And what a tremendous prophecy that is, that he would come to shepherd the lost sheep of, of Israel but that he would also stand in the strength and might of the Lord God himself. So God's prophecy in Micah is a, it's actually a balance between the mercy of God, sending the Messiah, sending a saviour to ultimately save the world, but also prophecy of judgment as well. God judging the people because of their sin. And we need to understand the balance that comes out through this prophecy this morning. An ancient text from this minor prophet prophesying that the time will come when the sire will come to judge the world, but also come to shepherd the lost sheep of Israel. And in the ancient texts of Micah is the gospel message that God judges, but also that God loves. That God condemns sin, but also loves his creation and loves his children. And this balancing message comes through these minor prophets, but nowhere, perhaps, does it come more brilliantly Than through the Gospel of Micah. Judgment and God's wrath will be evident, but God is slow to anger, and He will also be a God who dispenses judgment and demonstrates His mercy and grace. And we need to keep that Gospel message in balance today as well. Uh, Next Sunday, actually, I'll be speaking about the next minor prophet, Nahum, and we're speaking more there more about God's wrath and more about God's condemnation and more about God dealing with sin when we look at Nahum but let me just uh, this morning briefly say that it is wronger for us as Christians today just to preach about a God who loves and a God who forgives because it's also true that our God does judge and that our God does condemn sin God will do something about injustice. He will act against our sinful acts. A popular statement I've often heard uh, many Christians say today is that God hates sin but loves the sinner. But there's no biblical backup for that statement, which sounds so lovely and it sounds so nice. It's a it's kind of statement we want to say, but actually... It, it has no biblical backup but in fact it doesn't make any sense if God hates sin how can he think differently about the one who dispenses that sin sin doesn't come out of nowhere sin happens through the acts and behaviour of individual people who in their actions become sinners that's what we said in our chorus early in this meeting that uh, the, the saviour comes for sinners such as you and such as me and the prophets bear testimony to the fact that God does judge us and God does judge our sinful acts. So that one day there will be a day called the judgment day when we will have to answer for our sins. As I say, it's not something we like to talk about. It's not the, pre- the, the favourite sermon of any preacher And it's something we don't like to say through the megaphone in the open air. And that's not to judge uh, people like me and anyone else who speaks in the open air. We want to say to people, God loves you. I remember when I first became a Christian back in the 1970s. I don't know uh, those in this meeting who remember those days. But we used to have uh, stickers um, with things like, Smile, Jesus loves you on. I remember wearing such stickers as that. and It was lovely to go around with those stickers saying, Smile, God loves you. But the truth of the matter, this gospel message is all about a God who gets angry with sin and gets angry with the sinner and will need to answer the consequence of that sin. That's why the prophets also speak of much doom and gloom as well as such such brightness about God's love. And Micah, like Isaiah before him, tells us that it is this sin that will separate us from our God. Here's what Micah says. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. Micah brought this powerful message that although God is a mighty God, although he is a God of mercy, although he is a God of justice, he is also a God who condemns sin and and the perpetrator of that sin. But Micah is not only a prophet who was a message-bearer. Micah, like every good Christian today, doesn't just preach the word, but he lives out that word of God as well. And Micah, as a prophet of God, witnessed that even though he was a sinner, that the power of God could work through him. Here's what Micah has to say about himself. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might. And remember, these words came several hundred years before Pentecost, when God just, uh, God bestowed his Holy Spirit on all believers. These are the days when God's Spirit only came upon certain people and certain leaders and kings and prophets like Micah. But the day would come when the Spirit would come upon all people. And that word in that verse which says justice and might, that word, the Hebrew word used for might, could also be translated courage. Micah needed holy courage to speak this word of condemnation against God's people. God would need God's might and courage to stand up for God and to articulate this prophecy that God would give his condemnation and judgment upon these two nations. Remember what we read in the first book of this book. The word of the Lord came to Micah. This was God's word which this prophet had to dispense and he did so through the mighty and powerful word that God came to Micah who was given courage to deliver his message. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to be a leader of God's people. You sometimes get criticized and even condemned for the things that you say and the things that you have to do as a leader of God's people. But God filled Micah with his power. It's happened in just the way that the Apostle Peter stated several centuries later when Peter wrote, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along By the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a great phrase, isn't it? That these prophets were carried along by the the Holy Spirit who gave these prophets such power. And through His Great Commission, you know, Jesus speaks to each one of us here this morning because Jesus sends each one of us out to proclaim the gospel message in our world that God is here today and we are to live for Him today and we are to live with justice and mercy. And when we go out, we need to go out with the gospel message in the spirit of God and the spirit of his power and to have the courage uh, to, to stand firm and to walk tall for him, to be, dare to be different as we go out in God's name. And whilst we're on the subject of Micah himself, there is something further that we should notice about this prophet, and that is this. That Micah wept for the people. He wept for those people that he prophesied to. This is what we read in the first chapter. Because of this, says Micah, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. Now you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to say to you you need to act like Micah. It would be pretty interesting if you did. It's quite graphic isn't it? Quite a uh, quite you know, lot of detail there. But it does speak about how anguished Micah was. He, he not only had this message to speak but he lived this message. He, he felt the wrath of God upon these people and he wept for them. He wept and he wailed for these people who was receiving God's condemnation. God's heart ate, and Micah's heart hate. as a result. Again, many years later, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans that he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart, Romans chapter 9, verse 2. And of course, you will remember, no doubt, a time when Jesus looked out over the Mount of Olives, looked over the Kindred Valley, looked over to Jerusalem, and Jesus wept. Jesus' heart Eight for the people of Jerusalem who turned against God and in a few years time Jerusalem again would be raised to the ground and it, it hurt Jesus' heart. He wept for these people. Uh, we learn about that in Luke chapter 9 and in Matthew's gospel we can again see the heart of Jesus when he says Jerusalem Jerusalem you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and yet you are not willing this is the heart of Jesus this is the heart of these prophets and I wonder what your reaction is what my reaction is when we encounter sin When we encounter wrong and when we encounter injustice, does your heart ache? Does my heart ache? Do we weep? When was the last time we shed a tear because of the wrong or the the injustice that we see around us? Unfortunately, sometimes we are more ready to judge and to condemn out of hand. We're eager to point a finger to the error of people's ways rather than to shed a tear for the sins of others. But that wasn't the way that the prophets reacted to sin. Jeremiah, before him, there was another prophet who wept. Jeremiah chapter 9, and verse 1. And as I've already mentioned, that wasn't how the apostles reacted. They wept. And it certainly wasn't how Jesus reacted when he wept over Jerusalem. And so maybe we should allow our hearts to ache and even our tears to flow when we encounter sin, when we encounter wrong, rather than sit on the judgment seat in God's place. It isn't something um, that we need to react in a judgmental way, but we need to react in a way that God reacts when his heart aches or for the sin of mankind. I want to conclude this message on the book of Micah this morning with what is perhaps the major point of this minor prophet, and it's found in the sixth and penultimate chapter of this book. And I read it a little earlier in our meeting. And it's a verse. I guess that if you're only familiar with one verse out of this minor prophet, I guess it is this one. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a, a kind of a climatic verse as we come towards the end of this this prophecy. It's a very memorable verse, isn't it? It's very lyrical, and it, it's it, it very profound in what it has to say. It is Micah who says that when all is said and done, the Lord require, only requires this of, of you. Do, don't think about bringing sacrifices. Don't think about bringing oils and all the things he said in the previous verses. This, these are only the three things that God requires of you. Firstly, that we are to act justly. This is not about how to avoid perverting the course of justice in a legal sense. It's more about the nature of God, whose works are perfect and all his ways are just, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 32. It is a call to live a godly life which is upright and true. There is so much injustice in our world today. Injustice doesn't just belong to Micah's day, as we know. Injustice is very much a part of the world in which we live. And God's people are asked to to be counterculture to all that. We are to model the God who is just and who is righteous. And we are to act justly too. Secondly, we are to love mercy. This naturally follows from the first point, doesn't it? A God who is just is also to abound in mercy. And notice that we are here to... Encourage to love mercy, not just to to be merciful, but to actually love mercy, to to, to make it part of our lives, not just to show mercy and act mercy, but to love mercy, to be merciful, to imitate our God who delights to show in mercy, as we read in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. And finally, we encourage to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. Being a Christian isn't about following a prescribed set of instructions or fulfilling a certain number of hours with duty. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with a God who, according to the letter of James, opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Is that what our walk for God is like this morning? Are we striving to humbly walk in the footsteps of Jesus who took the basin and the towel and washed the feet of the disciples? It's a wonderful verse and I could easily conclude this message and study on the book of Micah with that major verse from this minor prophet. But I haven't quoted yet from the last chapter of Micah so may I do that by just quoting one verse and it's a We find it right at the end of the book, and this is what it says in chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. What a verse to end this book on. What a lovely verse for me to end this sermon on. Our God who does judge, our God who does condemn sin, and yes, does condemn the sinner too, our God who does uh, promise a judgment day is a God who basically doesn't stay angry forever. Or as it is written elsewhere in the Minor Prophets, God is slow to anger. We read that in the Prophets of Joel and Jonah as well. God is slow to... It's not the, the, the default Place that God wants to be. He's not essentially a God of anger and a God of wrath. That is not the nature of God. The nature of God is love. The nature of God is mercy. Yes, God will get angry about our sin. He will get angry with us about our sin. But his nature is to love us and to have mercy upon us and to forgive us. And it's all because that the Lord our God d- desires that we will act justly, that we will love mercy, and that we will strive each day to walk humbly with our God. Amen.